kids behind the bus time. From the NHRL studios in Norwalk, Connecticut, this is Behind the Bots, the podcast that brings you the stories of the builders behind the bots. I'm Chris. I'm Luke. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Kyle. And today on the podcast, our interview with Switchback Captain Greg Needell. We'll wrap up the show with this week's installment of Robots Around the Solar System. If you like our show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, CastBox, Player FM, and Podbean. You can follow us on Facebook at Behind the Bots, where you can also leave us a review, hint, hint, and tell a friend. We really appreciate your support. Yeah, like seriously, though, what do we, we get, we got like five likes. I say that we just cancel this whole podcast if we don't get like at least three more likes this week. Can you just like us? Just like us. Like us. Please like us. Please clap. God, this is the most Jeb Bush thing we've ever done, you guys. Um, Okay, all right, uh, time for this week's Combat Robotics News. I have two news items for you today. Uh, First up, catch live robot combat this week in Minnesota and Canada. In Minnesota, the Dollar Hobbies Combat Robot Club will be fighting fairy weights and ant weights this Thursday at the Dollar Hobbies store in Woodbury, Minnesota. And in Canada, the Saskatoon Combat Robotics Club is back in action with Kilobots 48, where they'll be fighting Antweights and Beetleweights at Fingertex Robotics' new headquarters in Saskatoon on Saturday and Sunday. If you're in the area, stop by. Tell Curtis we said hi. Meanwhile, BattleBots this week revealed a new showbot that will be appearing in the new live show that opens to the public on February 3rd. I cannot believe we're just weeks away from uh, the opening of this new show, which I'm just so excited to see. Uh, The new robot is Diablo, a dual vertical disc running treads instead of wheels. Diablo is being built by Zach Bieber, who most recently competed on BattleBots with Razorback. BattleBots Destructathon will feature 12 so-called showbots, modified versions of popular heavyweights designed to fight night after night and get fixed by a small team of mechanics in the pits. And that's it for this week's news. All right, now, uh, before we get into our interview with Greg, which is an absolutely delightful interview, I absolutely loved it. You're, you're, you're going to love it, too. Uh, let's pause here and take a look back on episode two, which ran last Thursday. Uh, we saw a fast end for Hypershock, Fusion survive yet another fire, Mammoth Spear, Valkyrie, a driving clinic between Mad Catter and Whiplash, and Endgame demonstrate why they're still the bot to beat in this field. Uh, I want to pause here. Your thoughts on episode two. I thought that they did the balance between watching robot fights and getting um, backstory on the builders and the teams very, very well in this episode. They hit the balance in this episode better than any episode I've ever seen, to be honest. Um, I loved Jameson Go at the desk. I thought that was amazing. I I got to tell you, this is like one of my top five favorite BattleBots episodes. Wow, really? Yeah, yeah. Not even because of fight quality, but actually because of how much they focused on builder stories and pit stories and all that stuff. And we all know they they skipped some stuff, right? Like there was a whole unstick that they completely ignored. Um, but they it was a good balance to the fight. There was less laser eyes, more depth. I absolutely loved Jameson Go um, up there with Chris and Kenny. Um, Jameson Go is just such a good announcer, and it's it just brought this whole new element to their commentary that I thought was really great. 
I, I would love to see more of that. Just like bring up all of the, you know, uh, good, good at announcing builders, you know, like I could see Will Bales up there, you know, I could see um, Calvin Eba up there. Um, just fantastic. That I, I thought that was, that was the smartest, smartest choice that they've made so far this season. Really great yeah. formula, less laser eyes, more insight and more meowing. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I texted Calvin after that because I was like, you look like you have a serious case of pink eye. Like, you know, <laughs> with those the, the cat eyes that, you know, were superimposed over his face. Um, that was that was a new one. Uh, what what is what is happening? Like they're the editors. They're like, you know, they, they've gone off the rails. <laughs> I don't know. Didn't they give him fire eyes earlier in the episode, too? Mm. He had like mm. he had cat eyes. He had fire eyes. He was he was ridiculous. I hope uh, that Luke Quintal on Copperhead just like turns into Medusa. Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah, mm, snake that eyes. Would be awesome yeah, snake eyes, but like a you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Aaron, if you're listening, that's a free idea. It was a uh, it was interesting because uh, I. You know, remember when they were announcing the fights uh, before the season started to let the builders know, like, you know, what their schedule was. Uh, Aaron Catling was like, and we got to keep with tradition. Sawblaze is opening the series. They got the first fight of the whole season. And, you know, everyone cheered. And then um, I was like, I wonder why. After all that, they didn't put Sawblaze as the opener to season seven on the show itself. And then it dawned on me, not a great way to start a season with a, you know, bot that has to, the match has to, you know, end because they can't be separated. It was a four day unstick. <laughs> they had to stop the production and we all just went, we had to fly home by the time they got those two bots separated. Everyone got involved, including the caterers, you know, just, uh. Trying to pull that 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 big, you know, They're just uh, rubbing vegetable oil on, yeah. On, yeah. It, it was... I I do want to say that like that fight, the Hypershock Sawblaze fight, total domination, incredible driving. Like I I've seen that match in some form, like probably four or five times now with Megatron at NHRL. Just like this totally suffocating drive style, flipping the opponent over, and then just going for that that bottom plate. It was classic James ago. So like, I don't know. Episode two. All all JMO. Uh did you guys see the the shunt posting video meme that somebody made um where it was Will Bales saying that uh the one thing we've got to do is avoid the front of the bot. And then they just repeated that line, <laughs> avoid the front of the bot over and over again. Every single time he rammed into the front of Sawblaze throughout that entire fight. It was like 15 times in that fr- in that fight that he ran into the front of Sawblaze. It's so funny. Please go check out Shunt Posting. It's I laughed so hard. It is the best. Does this meme have, you know, the longevity of, you know, wait for a good hit? I don't know, but it made me laugh <laughs> a lot, like actually laugh out loud a lot. And th- okay. that's that's rare in, in combat robotics memory. That's pretty good. Um, any other thoughts on on episode two? Before we jump into predictions for episode three. Just good work all the way around. Good job to the production yeah. team. Good job to the fighters. Uh, I thought there were some really good fights, but like I said, the real highlight of this episode for me was how much they actually focused on 
builder perspective. And I do hope they bring more builders up to um, the announce table. I think that's a really good idea. Absolutely. Yeah. And they, they even like did that in the first episode with the whole kind of introduction into the technology uh, behind Ripperoni with Anna. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, if, if they continue on like this, regardless of the fight quality, which I happen to think is like probably the best ever. Yeah. If yeah. they pair that with like better storytelling, uh, more involvement from the builders, like good explanation of the technology, man, like this is, this is going to be a really a plus like product as well as just a great competition show, you know? Yeah. Amen. Here's, here's a quick fun anecdote uh, from actually behind the scenes there of, uh, of the filming of this episode. So, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of early in the, uh, the, the season recording and, uh, you know, our, we've, we've developed a, a good kinship with our uh, NHRL co-host Ricky and, uh, you know, Mammoth went in there with Valkyrie. That's a really kind of a tough matchup for, for Mammoth. But I would say that this is really the first time that, uh, you know, someone that I have uh, gotten to know so well in real life has gone to BattleBots and has lost in front of me. And I didn't know how to how to really talk to Ricky afterwards. And so, like, I had assumed that he was incredibly bummed out. And so, like, when I went to Ricky, I was just like, hey, man, I'm <laughs> I'm so sorry. Uh, wow. Like, that was that was tough. That was like a tough matchup and this and that. Meanwhile, during the entire unstick process and everything, he's dancing in the box like Fred Astaire, and people are like taking photos of. It's not a big deal to Ricky. Like these are the punches of the sport, and here I am. I come off like a total noob. Like I'm just like, hey, I'm so sorry, man. If there's anything I can get, oh, you want an herbal tea? <laughs> and that's it. Now I treat everyone with uh, absolutely no kindness or respect in the pits, and that's just that's just who I'm going to be. Dance for me. Good. Good, Chris. Fantastic. All right. Well, uh, last week we opened up our prediction thread on Facebook uh, for episode two, and uh, we had 82 people send in predictions. Two people managed to call all seven fights correctly. Those people were this week, Stephanie Spooner and Graham Grizz Glover III. So congratulations, Stephanie and Graham. We also had a couple people correctly predict six out of the seven fights, but this was clearly a night of upsets right at the top, with a lot of people thinking that both Hypershock and Emulsifier would win their respective fights. Now, all right, with all that said, I'd like to go to uh, get into predictions for this week's uh, fight card, uh, you know, with our own Kyle Kroos, uh, Chris Lindsay, and I, we went to the filming, so we are, we're recusing ourselves. Um, Kyle, FYI, you called three out of seven of the fights correctly last week. So this may be a, a personal best. I'm keeping the tradition of my children calling the fights uh, like 80% <laughs> better than me. So there you go. That's good. That's good. All right, Kyle, I, I would love to get your, your predictions for this week, starting with our very first fight of the night. Death Roll, the return of Death Roll versus Cobalt. Oh, it's such an interesting, uh, I mean, this is Cobalt with John Vladnik. Um, captaining it and i believe he's driving it this year um i'm not sure how that worked out i know he was thinking about it he might have handed that off to the brits who were actually coming uh i'm gonna have to give this one to death roll okay interesting uh on to our second fight of the night you know speaking of a european team got ominous uh from the netherlands versus claw viper or returning claw viper 
I got to give it to Claw Viper. I mean, Ominous is an amazing machine. It's so cool. I can't wait to see it work. I've heard that weapon is vicious, but like Claw Viper is just faster than human perception. I'm going to give it to them. And you, Control Bot versus a bot that's on Omni Wheels, there's, there's really not a lot they can do there. Interesting. Okay. Uh, honor to Chris and Lindsay's team, Copperhead, uh, facing off against Bloodsport. Well, that one has to go to Copperhead, not um, because I love uh, Chris and Lindsay as much as I do. I do, but uh, that that's a clear Copperhead advantage there. Okay. All right. Do you want to say more or? Uh, no, it's just um, they, they. I hand- just, I love it, Kyle, when, when you just start to dig yourself deeper. It's so great. You know, that's I, what, I I'm, that's what I'm here for. No, I, they yeah. do really well against horizontal spinners. They're a beefy okay. machine. They can take those hits. The, their side plates are what, like freaking half inch thick ar like they're ridiculous they can handle it it's going to be fine um so i think that they can beat the blood sport okay on over to uh two veterans in the sport we've got lockjaw facing off against malice your thoughts um i'm gonna have to give this one to lockjaw okay um sure i just don't like betting against donald hudson and uh they have a, a little bit of a rock paper scissors advantage as well okay all right. On on to our, our next fight of the night. We've got uh, Lucky, the uh, Canadian flipper, facing off against a brand new horizontal Triton. D- does Lucky have the same uh, Uber kid driver? Yes, I believe oh. so. I think I saw him in the pits. That kid's ridiculous. Um, then I, I might have to give it to Lucky. That kid's oh. amazing. Okay. Right. Um, uh, and then, uh, Scorpios facing off against Jackpot. Your thoughts there? Man, what a great matchup. Um, I'm going to go ahead and give it to Jackpot because Scorpios has a real hard time with those verts. Um, and Jackpot just looks better and better every year. So I'm going to go ahead and give it to them. Mm, Good. Uh, and then finally, our main event of the night, Hydra facing off against Rotator. Wow. I am so sorry. I mean, they're real, like they're feeding Hydra to the beast this time around. I looked at that list. Um, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and give that to uh, Rotator because, um, you know, it, if Rotator got flipped last year and lost all their batteries in their fight with Glitch, uh, I'm guessing they're not going to allow that to happen again this year. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and give that to Rotator. Very good. That concludes Kyle's predictions. Now, if you think that you're smarter than a Kyle, uh, head to our Facebook page today and send us your predictions for uh, Thursday night's fights. Uh, now, uh, Kyle, sorry, did, were, were you going to say something? No, I uh, I love that you're starting this smarter than a Kyle thought process this early in the game. I, I dig it. You've been playing with this idea for a while. Here's the thing. All right. There's very few people who are smarter than a Kyle. And I want to I want to, uh, you know, I want to identify all of them. I would love to like bring them all into the same room and uh, you could just debate what, what was the most powerful comedy central era battle lot, you know, um, just, you know, by, by watching these ancient clips on YouTube or something like that, you know, I think it'd just be great, you know? Um, yeah, I'm into it. I think that sounds great. I, I, I mean, I, I feel like you're perhaps teasing our new trivia game that we're going to be releasing later in the season. You know, are you smarter than a Kyle? Yeah, uh, it's going to be a really good time. We're already putting together prizes for it. So spoiler alert there. I have to find the right. I have to find someone who is 
like of an equivalent like Kyleness, you know, like because if you think about all of the uh, the BattleBots fans over the years, you know, who we have access to, I guess who listen to this show, um, I would say like there's maybe ten or fifteen who know as much as you do, Kyle. You know, probably yeah, yeah. I'd say that's a pretty good number. So I need to find those ten or fifteen. They need to come forward. Do do you do you do you have do you have anyone who you think is of uh, equivalent? You know, kind of like knowledge base because I I have a name right off the top of of my head. Oh my gosh. Um, no, I don't, I don't have anybody that I could think of right off the top of my head, but I'm very curious as to who you're thinking of. Wake and bake builder, Alex Peza. You know, that's a fairly good assumption there actually. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I would say like maybe, maybe like Brandon Bennett Young. Brandon Bennett Young would be a really good guess there, but Alex Peza might, might actually be right up there. Yeah. Um, Alex. I would love maybe a Tyler Wynn as well. You know, like maybe he doesn't know quite as much about the Comedy Central era, but perhaps he does. I mean, I don't know. I don't you know. know. I feel like every single time I've talked to him. Yeah, I don't know. He does know a lot of stuff, um, but I, that would be a hard one to guess. If we're talking about like pure uh, fans not currently involved in like BattleBots or NHRL, I would go with like an Alex Hall of, of Great Britain. Okay. Um, you know what I mean? There's there's yeah. some of those that that you could fit in there that would be that would be good. Sure. Um, Jevin Woodrow, you know, if we're gonna go across the pond, Jevin Woodrow is a phenomenal. I mean, that guy, that guy knows everything. Um, Mike Stropkovic. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, I would love to play this game against Mike Stropkovic. He would legitimately kick my butt. That would be hilarious. Now that I'm thinking about it, there's a lot of people who are smarter than a Kyle. You know, <laughs> like uh, the list just keeps getting longer. All right, listen. If 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 I've named you, you know. Uh, DM me, I guess, you know, slide into our DMs and uh, maybe you can win some fabulous prizes in like a future <laughs> trivia game. That's great. That's great. Um, okay. All right. Well, uh, after the break, we'll be back with our interview with Greg. This week on the podcast, we have a very special returning guest, Greg Needell, the captain of Switchback. Greg is the founder and CEO of Rev Robotics, which makes educational robotics parts and kits for first robotics competitions, first tech challenge, and first global. He made his BattleBots debut in season six with Switchback, which featured a stacked tooth vertical drum mounted on an articulating arm. For season seven, Switchback got a major upgrade. The team kept to the articulating arm, but replaced the drum with an egg beater, um, and a modular fork system that they can swap out depending on who they face. This year, they were pitted next to Team Hypershock, and their pit area rivaled Hypershocks in size and scale, which is truly impressive. We're looking forward to getting into this and all things Switchback 2.0 in the hour ahead. So welcome back to the show, Greg. I'm very happy to be there. Hey, everybody. Greg, it is so good to talk to you again. Uh, we were so excited about all of the design upgrades and. I'm sure you've gotten a lot of positive feedback. If you haven't, let me be the first to tell you your bot looks amazing this year. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it, it was, we, we definitely focused not just on the mechanical upgrades, trying to make the robot better functionally, but we uh, put a huge amount of emphasis on also just how it looks and trying to nail the aesthetic. And um, our team member, uh, James, is, uh, who you know very well from the NHRL stuff, is a is a was a huge driving force between a lot of the aesthetic of the robot. That's awesome. All right, so we've got an opening question about the design of the bot from BattleBot Superfan Alexander Archer. 
Obviously, Switchback is very different from last season. Can you please tell us about some of the changes this season? Um, maybe stuff that, that's not so obvious when you're looking at it. Sure. So um, Switchback is basically an entirely new robot, right? I don't actually think there's anything that we saved from the original design besides the 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 idea of Switchback. And so basically, you know, last year we designed almost everything with a uh, tab and slot welded construction. So it was a combination of the armor is the chassis. It's all just kind of unibody. And that's a pretty common construction method of other battle bots. Um, after going to the competition and seeing how things went not so great last year, we kind of decided that we had a lot more design flexibility if we separated the armament from the internals that make switchback work. So that means we could use a lot more aluminum billet, design stuff, and then really just armor it up. Uh, we were very, very inspired by um, Aaron and uh, Team Seems Reasonable and the kind of their, um, how they do their armoring and their floating skirts and stuff like that. So full credit to, to SR for their, um, for that inspiration. And then a lot of it was just making, understanding what needed to be robust and what could be a little bit less. I mean, last year we overpacked it, a lot of stuff and it was pretty obvious in some of our fights, like the one with huge, where we took these like massive hits and yeah, we got really wrecked in that, in that fight, but um, you know, how long it took to wreck it down um, on such a good robot like that. So we had to be more selective. Um, I'd say the biggest thing that w was a big change, and I think we'll probably get into this a little bit on the, the weapon design um, change, because a lot of people point out that we switched from the stacked um, disc method to an actual machined egg beater, and that all had to do with alleviating weight. So the stacked discs are very cost effective to build. Um, and that's one of the main reasons we did it. We had a send cut send sponsorship. Um, we could get them cut them and the spacers and everything worked great. Um, but they're not actually that efficient of a shape from a moment of inertia perspective versus an egg beater. That's incredibly efficient. And so what we ended up doing was a lot of math in the off season, um, Glitch had given us their CAD files. We were able to do an analysis on um, on their weapon to kind of see what they did. And we basically designed our egg beater to say it's very similar in moment of inertia, total moment of inertia to the stacked discs at about half the weight. Yeah. And so we were able to take that 40, you know, 30 to 40 pounds and put it elsewhere in the robot, which made the arms stronger, gave us better armaments, let us play with the ground game. And, and so a lot of that was how we prioritized the season. Um, but, and, and for the most part, I think it worked pretty well. Um, we, there still needs to be a generation three switchback, but um, we, we were pretty happy overall. I love that uh, story about rookies helping rookies that you guys actually got the, the egg beater information from the glitch guys and were able to kind of design and, improve upon it from there. That's really cool. That's really cool. Yeah. And, and I'd say that that's one of the things that I think that um, I wish that more people knew commonly is that, you know, we are battle bots, um, actually very similar to first robotics is that, you know, everybody wants to go into the battle box 
and have a fair fight. They want the other robot to be operating absolutely at peak performance. But when it comes to outside of the box, literally most teams out there, I won't say every team, but most teams will tell you anything about their robot. They'll help you out. They'll loan each other parts. Um, you, you talked about our pit. Um, you know, we have a lathe and a mill and a whole bunch of stuff in our pit. Like we were making parts constantly for other teams at BattleBots throughout the season. And that's the sense of community that makes this great. If everybody yeah. was just there to like, you know, totally have like, I'm competitive and I'm just going to focus on being competitive, being at BattleBots would not be nearly be as much fun. Um, so we're going to move on to the second part of actually, before we do that, I think this is a good point to stop and ask about your, uh, your CAD contest. Oh yeah. So tell, tell us a little bit about that. What is the CAD contest? How, how do people get involved? Okay. So, uh, one of our sponsors this year is on shape. Um, you might've noticed them on shape previously also sponsored ghost Raptor and some others. Um, it, Start at the top. Computer-aided design, every robot in the field gets designed in computer-aided design. There are a bunch of different software that you can use, whether it's SolidWorks or Inventor or or um, Fusion 360 or Onshape. Um, we made the switch this year and we design everything in Onshape. Onshape's a web-based, free for personal use um, software totally in the browser, apps on your phone so you can collaborate. It's amazing. Like, I, I don't endorse things. I don't work with sponsors who we don't believe that things are amazing. It is amazing stuff. Um, they have modes like you can like be in CAD and like say, hey, I want to show you something. You click the username and like you can follow what somebody's doing in CAD in real time from across the world. It's amazing. That's cool. Um, so as part of our are things that we do with our sponsors. We like to do different things rather than just, hey, give me your logo. I'm going to put it on my robot. And then that's the end of it. We like to find partners that we can do creative things with. So Onshape, um, the goal was always going to be we're releasing the cat of our robot. So that's, I don't know that it's ever happened like this before, where we're just like, here's a heavyweight. It is at an active heavyweight. Go look at every nut bolt thing. I'm sure I've got members of other teams like, wait a second, that was only that thick? That armor was only that thick? Or like <laughs> questioning our choices. But it's like everything is wide open. You can go see our motors, our gearing, the machining, everything open. And so what we did is Onshape has this amazing thing. And it kind of works if you're familiar with GitHub, um, where it's like people publish their content. You can make your own copy of it. So we decided... Um, they're running their live conference, their Onshape Live 2023, which is their big yearly com conference. And they always do a crazy, awesome design contest. So this year's design contest is design a new weapon for Switchback. So you could go check out our CAD files, make a copy of the, the design files and design your own weapon, whatever it is. If you want to optimize for um, making a killer new weapon, saw, beater, Stack drums, whatever, whatever it is, all it has to do is fit in the space. And we've gotten all of the CAD files are there. And then, uh, but it also could be wacky, right? You could be like, hey, I want it to look like SpongeBob. And I just spin SpongeBob around. Whatever it is, it's fun. Design something cool until February 12th. 
And the winner of that contest will um, not only win the on-shape contest where they get like an on-shape belt and all this bragging rights, but we are going to build whatever weapon wins. So it, we're going to build it, put it on the robot, test it out. Um, maybe if it's really good, maybe we'll just run it next season. So uh, that's what it is. And, and a lot of this is encouraging people to take the next step in depth where BattleBots is an engineering challenge. And so part of that is giving an understanding of what it takes to design and build one of these. Well, here's an opportunity where everything except for one piece of a robot is fully designed and operating. Design one part and see what it takes to design that one part. And so that's that's kind of the idea. I absolutely love that. And I hope you end up with some version of a Pikachu weapon because um, that seems to be the theme these days. Um, all right, so we're going to move on to Alexander Archer's second question. How did you feel, uh, do you feel about the remaining Fight Night opponents? Switchback has to face Death Roll, Ominous, and Hijinks over the next couple of weeks. Um, obviously, you know, we're going to have to go back in time, right, to, uh, to after your first fight. How did you feel looking forward to these other ones on the fight card for you? Uh, we When we got our fight card, first of all, I want to say I love the fact that we got all four of our fights the first day. I don't think there's a single builder who's upset about getting that. Yeah. Um, it allowed us to plan and, you know, set up both robots as, you know, so we could be way ahead, like days ahead. Um, doesn't always work, but um, we thought that uh, we liked our fight card. Um, you know, our goal going into this season was... Obviously, we needed to show improvement from last season. Uh, that was a pretty low bar, so that that was probably all right. Uh, we wanted to make go into the tournament. Uh, I don't know. We weren't sure how deep in the tournament, but making the tournament was a, was a big goal of ours. And so looking at the actual fight card itself, we're like, all right, we've got some tough robots here, but they're going to match up okay. So it, it we, we liked our, our matchups. Um, some very scary robots on that list. But in order to prove yourself, you want to go up against hard opponents. And that's kind of what we got. I, and I think I think that the plan was, and, I, and I don't, I'm not going to make a guess at which one of these is which, but I think the plan with the four robots is that you were supposed to fight somebody who was like equal to you, definitely harder than you, and then maybe a little bit below you. Yep. In terms of like the three robots that everybody got, and so I'm not going to say which ones I thought think are which. Obviously, I think Death Roll was bit better than us, um, but um, it's I, I I like it. I mean, I, I think it was going to be a good challenge because last year we didn't we didn't see any flippers last year, we didn't see any horizontals last year, um, and so I think that we didn't even see really any like. Oh, sorry, we saw a flipper in Lucky, but. Um, we didn't see any like traditional. So I think we got, you know, a flipper, a dangerous vert, um, another dangerous vert with omnidirectional drive and then a big horizontal. So I think that we kind of felt like it was a good gauntlet test for the robot that yeah. that's the good diversity across the board. If we can survive this and do well, it, you know, swap, you know, hijinks out for another big horizontal swap, you know, and, you know, Ominous has a crazy powerful uh, weapon, just like Death Roll, like swap them out for anybody else. So we, we like it, but we knew it was going to be a challenge. 
Yeah, boy. Yeah, you guys did not really get the cupcakes this time around. Um, no. All right, so this next question comes from Crotaliday. Um, first of all, he gives you guys a compliment, and you're going to hear this a lot today. So uh, this iteration of Switchback is so cool and aesthetically pleasing. Um, but he has some questions about the weapon. So how much does your current weapon weigh? So our current weapon, uh, we actually have multiple weapons. So mm -hmm. we have... Um, we, we walked into BattleBox with three different weapons um, and we had multiples of several of them. So we have um, a 30 pound asymmetric uh, weapon, which is what you saw in the Banshee fight. We have a 40 pound asymmetric weapon and we have a 40 pound symmetric dual tooth weapon. So, uh, and then we have multiples of the 30 pound asymmetric because um, we haven't talked about this much yet, but we actually cracked it in our Banshee fight. So yikes! But uh, yeah, so so those, what those, material? Those, what material were these made out of? They're forty-one forty, and they're hardened. Uh, we over hardened them, which is a whole. I, I, I've got a blog post that we're going to post about this, but um, I need to wait a little bit further in the season. But when we got them hardened, we went a little bit too hard, so they became brittle. Yep. And so like the, the, we cracked one in the Banshee fight and then we immediately started trying to rework. So we had to like at BattleBots, take our blades, retemper them um, back down and then reharden them back to a slightly wow. softer thing. So as a whole, there's a whole really that was one of the challenging things at BattleBots was trying to get all that done. But but yeah, it's uh, we built several of them. That's awesome. I mean, uh, a lot of teams don't even go through this until much later in their uh, BattleBots life. So it's kind of nice that you got this uh, this uh, heat treatment issue kind of out of the way early. <laughs> or learning experience, I should say. This heat treatment learning experience out of the way early. Yeah, it's, it's actually a really, it's a really interesting, um, material science is something that um, takes a lot of effort with BattleBots because, it, you know, everybody's like, oh, we'll just throw AR-400 at it or AR-500 at it or S7 tool steel or, 4140. And the, the interesting thing about these hardenable steels is that they all have really deep pros and cons with them. So you could take 4140, which is a more machinable, workable steel, still hard, and harden it. But when at the very high end, it's going to become very brittle versus S7, which you generally get like pre-hardened and or and can get very hard. But at the high end, that is incredibly brittle. So it all depends on what you're trying to do with it. Uh, AR-400, a lot of people, especially if they're doing flat plate um, verts, they'll just take it as is. Um, so it's it, it doesn't, the material science piece of this is pretty interesting because they're off oh, their If their armor is AR-400 and AR-400 is, you know, in this rock wall scale, like let's harden our blades slightly higher. So theirs don't break instead of ours. So there's a lot of that and, we just went a little too aggressive on our hardness, but, uh, makes sense. Makes sense. All right. So for this version, this is also, uh, the last question from Crotaliday with this version of switchback, how did you envision using your weapon and its articulation for various types of opponents? How different is that from your original concept that you were using last year? Um, that's a great question. Um, I, one of the things, in, I don't think people have seen it yet, but, our weapon is way faster. The the movement is way faster. I noticed that in this fight. I still don't, I will, still wouldn't say that we're a hammer drum, 
but uh, we wanted to be able to do more hammer drum things with it, mainly just to make the fans happy. Um, but um, we we anticipated it using it similarly. Um, we would run many of our matches like a regular vert, right? Um, we have the ability to defend ourselves if somebody gets behind us so we can go over. So you kind of have a, a, a threat. And then also we still have the ability to stop it wherever we want to stop it. So we can go after people at those, uh, those, you know, tasty spots that they don't armor for us. Um, and so I think it's very similar to the way that we used it last year, but it's a little bit, uh, just, you know, a little bit different because we did have the ability to increase the speed of the arm so much that we could, we could play with it more. And I, that was one of the things that we definitely, and you'll see in future fights, that we definitely play with it more. That's awesome. Yeah, I did notice um, the speed that it was moving, and I was like, oh, you can do a lot more with that. It seemed like it had um, maybe even some lifting capabilities with it too, which is really helpful. Um, yeah, so there, there's there's two parts of it, I guess, that are interesting. Is Yeah, we did add some lifting attachments, and it is geared that we can lift. We're not trying to be... Um, to be whiplash and right. turn into a lifter. Uh, I know there was a lot of like comments online about like, oh, it looks like whiplash and tantrum had a baby. Um, but, um, <laughs> um, but you know, we were not really playing that strategy, but we could if we had to more as a backup. Yep. Um, the other thing that we were doing was um, it helps with our ground scraping. Um, so like this first fight, we ran our beak configuration. The beak is actually connected to the arm. So we actually go active down with our arm. So we have the entire force of the arm scraping the floor. So instead of using springs or magnets or something to win the ground game, part of the arm idea is that, you know, we pop it up as we're driving around. And then right before we engage, we push down. So all the weight of our robot is digging right on the front to try to win that ground game. That's really clever. That's really, really clever. Um, all right, so the next, th this is a, uh, a series of compliments in the form of questions. Um, this is from my girlfriend doesn't like robots co-host Matt Hedger. Uh, so he just says, how the heck did you make your robot so darn sexy? I would say uh, actually having a lot more time to cat it and plan it and realized that uh, we weren't happy with how the robot looked on TV last year. And so uh, I'm inspired by the, some of the best looking robots out there. And I, you know, the emphasis that, you know, um, Hypershock is on, on how they look and a lot of other teams, we knew we had to step up our game. But like I said earlier, James, um, uh, he is a mad lad when it comes to CAD and he's got this really, really great eye for it. Um, we also had the nice ability because we did so much of aluminum, um, we did a whole bunch of anodizing on our robot. So we weren't out in the paint booth almost at all um, for this robot. We were just that's nice anodized aluminum. It came out looking shiny and gold. If you can build robots, you use aluminum, anodize them. It looks amazing. Um, yeah, we got a related comment from Graham Grizz Glover, who says, I love the look of switchback question mark. It's not really a question, but if I put a question mark at the end in hopes of getting it read out loud, so the peeps on the team know how much I love it. So there you go. Um, well, th thanks a lot, Graham. That's, that's, uh, we, we appreciate <laughs> that. Um, um, 
So we got David from BCRC who wants to know, can we get some internal views of the robot to go with those CAD files? Like, could we see some some views with the top plate off? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, we haven't really posted a lot of the internals yet, um, but we have a gallery of thousands of photos of Switchback. So if you've got any specific views that you want or want us to post, um, just Drop a note to us on our social media. We'll post some stuff. Um, we have we have so many photos. Uh, we're very we document so much. So yes, um, tell me what you want to see, and we can we can post some photos. Like like I said, part of putting the cat out there is that we have no secrets. So whatever you want to see, just just uh, let us know. So you guys weren't building a tent around the robot to work on it in the pits this year? <laughs> no, we 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 have no tents. Um, so I, I will say, I said we have no secrets. I will say that as a team going into the competition before the competition and during it, we have some secrets. We have some things that we do. Um, one of the ones, and I think everybody knows this now, um, you'll notice on our robot in our, in our pictures that we've got a lot of carbon fiber. Um, some of that carbon fiber is real carbon fiber. Some of it is AR that's been covered in carbon fiber vinyl. So the robot, regardless, so just like every other team, you need to change your armor up, change your configuration up. What we did is put some time into making sure the aesthetics look the same, even if we're changing it. So, oh, we're going up against a top attack robot. We want to run an, our AR top panel. Um, well, we're going to do that, but our AR top panel looks like it's carbon fiber. So the robot looks the same on TV, but also we have a little bit of like, hidden hiddenness to our opponents so they don't know what we're swapping around that's awesome that's like an old boxing or football trick like no matter what you walk back to your corner or you walk back to the sidelines the same speed whether you're hurt whether you're feeling good no matter what you just walk the same speed so nobody knows if you are hurt or if anything's different so this is a very similar concept but translated to robots i love that um all right so battlebot superfan Steve Dufort wants to know, and uh, his first question is, what did you retain from last year's design? We've pretty much covered that. But um, what does this year's weapon slash destructive power compare to last year? Now, I know you said that, you know, in the in the CAD, it's the same moment of inertia, what you designed for this year's weapon versus last year's weapon. How did that work out in real life? Did you see a comparable destructive um, capacity with this year's weapon compared to last year's weapon? Uh, in practicality, uh, this year's weapon is a little bit weaker than last year's weapon. Mm -hmm. um, that had more to do with actually um, changing our the motors that we use in our weapon from last year. We, due to packaging and some of the layout stuff, we didn't really get that to work with the same motors we used last year. So last year, the motors we ran were basically the same motors that like Monsoon runs. And we ran a pair of those. Um, this year we ran um, two smaller motors. And um, like you saw that puff of smoke in the first fight, um, we have to push a lot of current in there to get our spin-up speed pretty high. Mm -hmm. And so in the end, it's kind of like you push it too high, you burn up your motors and motor controllers. If you need to go to a safe space in terms of current, what ends up happening is you end up with a little bit of underpoweredness on the, the, the actual weapon. So I would say overall, our weapon is 
less powerful than last year, but that doesn't mean it's weak. It's just on the lesser side. And this is one of the things that we're going to be addressing in Switchback 3.0. Love it. All right. Well, I'm going to pass you over to my friend, Chris. Thank you so much for being with us today, Greg. This has been great. Yeah. Thanks, Kyle. Hey, Greg. How's it going? Good. How are you, Chris? I'm doing well. Uh, Unfortunately, I have to start off with what seems to be a critique of the design. And this is coming from Michael Hawkins, who is less than a fan of this design, writes, seems top heavy, needs a wider, bigger base. Do you have a uh, rebuttal? Um, I I actually think this robot is really stable. Um, we it might not have looked like it in the first fight because it's not as stable when we're trapped with our arm broken over the top. Um, so it looks really funny. But this robot's base is wider than last year's by about six inches, and that and you so he's right that the wider the base is, the um, more stable it is. But this robot is actually very, very stable. Um, I think it's just a relationship of, obviously, when the arm is in the down position and we're tucked, the robot is like anchored to the floor. When our arm is up, it will be top heavy. Um, but those are the trade-offs based on how we use the weapon. Uh, Banshee got us in like the worst position where we are like the front wheels were like off the ground, uh, unstable. So uh, he's right that it is a little bit top heavy, but I don't actually think that going any wider would buy us significantly more in terms of robot design. Uh, Would you like to take a moment to issue a personal attack against Michael Hawkins? Uh, No, that's not really my style. (laughs) But uh, Michael, what I, what I will say is, um, our cat is out there as part of our cat competition. Modify the robot. You can make it wider. Um, it's modifying only a few parts to do it. And uh, send me a picture of what you're thinking of as a screenshot from OnShape. And uh, I, I don't care where the ideas come from. I we're, If it's a good idea that we should integrate into version three, uh, show me what you're talking about. So go for it. I have uh, another. Well, it's a it's a a couple of things here from Bloodsport team member Seth Schaefer, uh, who runs Division at NHRL and has a really awesome YouTube channel, Just Cause Robotics. Check that out. Uh, Seth writes, Hi, Greg. It was nice getting to chat in Manchester, New Hampshire. Uh, and then Seth goes on to write, uh, So with the arm forward, the weapon spins up, so hitting an opponent drives the arm into the ground. But if the arm is all the way back trying to hit on the top of an opponent, it would drive it, uh, it would hit downward, shoving the arm back up. Are you worried about the force this puts on the arm and the chains and the gearbox? And what did you do to prevent it from damaging itself this way? Uh, sure. So, uh, yeah, Seth, Seth we, we, had a, um, we had a fun kind of watch party uh, here last week for the episode. And I happened to be traveling to New Hampshire. So uh, it was great hanging out with him and some of the other uh, Switchback fans that are up in New Hampshire. Um, yeah, so in the front position, the, the, the ears that are on the arm will, will ground to the floor. So the reaction force will go straight into the floor as opposed to back through it. He's absolutely right. When we are in the back position taking hits, um, that force will transfer through to our arm, the chains and gearboxes. Theoretically, everything is sized appropriately to take those hits. Um, we do have a, um, internal shock coupling in the arm. So uh, before the gearbox for the arm, after the, so obviously you've got the arm, you've got the chains, 
and then you've got into the gearbox. So in between the chains and the actual gearbox, we have a um, shock coupler that will take a couple thousand pounds of force before it gets mangled. And so we, looking at the tensile strength of the chain and the robustness of the arm in general, uh, we don't love to take hits that way. It's definitely more risky than hitting people in the front, but we feel like whatever it takes to try to win the fight that we're in. Um, and there, we have lots of spare parts. And so we feel pretty good about its ability to hit that way. But if it breaks, I'd rather break trying something and just fix it later than trying to not hit somebody that way. Yeah, kind of the uh, the double-edged sword philosophy. Yeah. Now, I got some more questions here uh, from Will Hahn about the arm. First question is, what was the thought process on moving the arm pivot point to the rear of the chassis instead of the center? And I know you covered some of this with Kyle, but uh, Will also asks, what led to the change in the uh, design of the egg beater? Yeah, so um, moving the arm pivot to the back um, actually had to do with some stability issues that we had front to back last year. Um, we recognize that probably the majority of our fights are going to be forward-based attacks. So going like talking about Seth's question, right? Like on the forward side. So uh, by moving the pivot back, we were able to kind of adjust some center of gravity things. Um, and also just from a pure like packaging perspective, it just works better. Um, the symmetry in the old robot was fine, but it forced our gearbox to like the dead center of the robot. And so as a result of it being dead center, we were constantly cramming stuff around it. And so by moving to the back, we moved the whole gearbox to the back. It gave us a, just a better internal layout with uh, very little impact. Um, the other thing that was part of that is that we were adding a ground game this year, right? We basically didn't have one. We effectively just hit people weapon forward. We didn't really have any feeder wedges or beaks or, or anything last season to speak of with this year having more of a effective ground game um, we were playing with how exposed the weapon was and so um, by doing moving it to the back we ended up with more space to do ground game things in the front uh, so it was just it was just kind of a various degree of opinion of, of things but the geometry of the robot was really what drove it um, in terms of how we got everything to fit. Now, believe it or not, I have more questions here about the arm. Uh, so the next question here comes from Ian, who built Quicksand 2. Ian wants, is the arm strong enough to act as a lifter if you need it to? Yes, it is. The The arm is geared in such a way that um, it's way overpowered uh, <laughs> for what it needs to be. So yes, if we had to actually do a lifter, uh, we could absolutely lift with the arm. Um, that's part of the design criteria for it. I don't know how effective we would be in terms of like you compare lifting to, like I said, whiplash, um, some of the pure lifters, but we can definitely get somebody up on their edge, which is really the goal with the lifter would be to get somebody off their wheels so that we can do the controlled movements around, maybe do a flip or push somebody onto the top of the screws. Um, but it's not intended to like, suplex somebody um over the top of the robot or anything like that all right the next question about the weapon here i have from d brad leith who wants to know 
Have you considered an increase in articulation uh, range to better enable solid opponent engagements with your drum? An increase of to 215 degrees or so would really open up more of offensive opportunities. Uh, yeah, we have. <laughs> we, we absolutely um, have talked about the different ranges of motion. Um, some of this is just a balancing act between how long the arm actually is um, and what's in its way from going that direction. Um, we, so on, in the front side, we do eventually bottom out on our chassis, which is the limiting factor. So um, we are looking at maybe lengthening the arm a little bit for um, next season. So we give ourselves a little bit more engagement to get there. Um, we also may do some things so we can go to actually a bigger diameter weapon, um, which what does kind of the effective thing is increasing the range of motion, but just getting the hook angle lower. Uh, yeah, I mean, we we looked at those things. Uh, ultimately, some of that stuff is a little bit subjective. So we picked what we picked. And um, those are the types of things that we're going to use the data from this year's version of Switchback to influence next year's design. Believe it or not, another question here about the weapon uh, from Triton Captain Brand Hans Hanstad, who writes, Greg, uh, tell me uh, about the gearbox system that you've used, the rotation of the beater on switchback. Uh, so the beater on switchback is running through, um, uh, it's a max planetary. Um, uh, so max planetary is a planetary gearbox that rev robotic that we make um we use them all over the robot so like our drivetrain motors uh go through them our arm has one in in the primary side of it and then we use uh the input and output stage as an adapter so with switchback we use a ton of uh hex shafts like we love hex shafts rather than keys so um, we adapted motors through these gearboxes to get to a hex shaft output and then we use a uh, just a belt uh, timing belt from the gearbox to the weapon uh, for transfer. Uh, I'll say preview, uh, that is probably one of the things we're going to change next season and move to the more traditional V-belt style instead of the timing belt. So I'll just kind of sacrifice that one out there. Uh, the timing belts were probably just a mistake. Brad also wants to know, what do you think about Thanos? Thanos in general? I don't know if he ever made general. Um... <laughs> I guess he'd be more of an admiral since he flew a ship through space. Hmm. So like Thanos, the Marvel character. I, I You can answer this as either the Marvel supervillain or the human supervillains who tried to take a whole bunch of uh, money in the healthcare system. This is, this is a question that Brad asks every single interview. And uh, to this date, I don't think we have any context as to why. So just... Roll with it however you'd like. Yeah, um, I think that Thanos was a uh, acceptable Marvel villain. Um, not going to really like anybody who like gets rid of half the people everywhere. But uh, in terms of building suspense over a multi-movie cinema spectacular, uh, Thanos was a pretty good villain. I don't have another answer for that besides that. I'm still curious why it was half. I mean, what, what's wrong with thirds? Can we work with thirds? Hmm. Yeah, why not? Why not a quarter? Like what? What? There are yeah. there are plenty of other fractions that he could have played with. What I really want to know is how he did the math. That's all. You know, they didn't show you how he did the math. 
Yeah, half just seems arbitrary. Yeah. I want to know. I want to know. Did is this like? Does Thanos have like the power of like Santa Claus, where like he knew every individual thing? Like, how were the halves chosen? Right. Like, were you on a list, like one list or the other list, before or like what was the actual mechanism to choose when he snapped? Uh, I don't know. I think there's there's an upside and a downside. There's two sides to every Schwartz. That's 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 how I see it. <laughs> All right. All right, let's move on from Brad. Thank you, Brad. And I got a question here from Nelly, the Elliebot captain, Sarah Malian, who wants to know, back. To, this is back to the robot now. Uh, what trade-offs do you make for having such a chonky weapon system? Like, what are you sacrificing to have such a, such a big chonky system like that? Uh, armor. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's ultimately, it, we, we don't have as much armor as other people do. Um, and that, that's the biggest, the biggest trade-off. Um, I mean, this is one of the, one of the hardest things about having a, uh, adaptable weapon system such as like we do, um, you know, Scorpios and, and Sawblaze and some of the others that have like things that are different as compared to the more meta, just I'm avert, um, hypershocks and witch doctors and minotaurs, um, because, that weight has to go somewhere. So like we've got 30 pounds of stuff in our robot that no one, that other people don't have to have because they don't have an arm. And then in order to have a big enough weapon uh, that we want, because we want to be very weapon forward on our robot. Um, we're not really interested in being a control bot disguised as a, as a vert. Um, we have to sacrifice somewhere. And so armor ends up being the thing that we are probably just a little bit lighter on than other people are. But I know that the percentages of armor to weapon, um, you know, change based on philosophy. So our philosophy, you know, our, I don't know, we balanced it as we did. But yes, I would love some additional armor. All right. I have a three-part question here from our friend Tom Farkas, who runs First Drink of the Day and is the 2022 NHRL Rookie of the Year. Um, his first question I know that you touched on a bit with with Kyle so we don't have to go too far down that rabbit hole again. But his first question was, what is the beater made out of? And do you have any different ones for different opponents? And I, I know that you you would have uh, a myriad of different uh, 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 weapon systems that are asymmetrical, symmetrical. And I think that you went through the material science a bit with Kyle. Yeah. Uh, any, any other things that you want to touch on or should we move on to the next one? Um, not really. I mean, the big difference for us is just um, like choosing which one and which fight has to do with... Um, what we think we're going to do. Um, so the, like the symmetrical 40 is a stronger weapon. So using that against like a vert or like a, like a horizontal, whatever, it might take a side hit. Um, you know, we want to, we want the ability to go weapon on weapon with anybody. And I'm not afraid to do that. So we choose the weapon that's right for that. Um, the weight changes the spin up time, but also kind of its peak power. So we make decisions based on, do we need a heavy weapon because we need to do a lot of damage or is it more important to spin up faster because we're going to be in a, a brawl? So um, we, we built a giant spreadsheet. We have every robot listed. We, before the event, we literally listed out every, every piece of armor that could be swapped, every weapon, front end, all the configurations. We had weights of all of them. So we literally have a giant spreadsheet. So we just we worked through the logic internally and then just kind of went with that. 
Tom's next question is, is the plan still the same with the weapon where it's not a hammer saw, but a height adjustable weapon? Yes, I think that's that's still the way that I'd, I'd put it. I mean, we we would we're happy to run our run switchback like a normal verb that just has a extra level of something we can do. And that extra something could be dropping it on somebody, hitting a spot that's unarmored or re or moving it around so that we effectively can attack from the front or the rear, uh, depending on where we are in the box. But yeah, it's, it's still the same strategy we had in previous years. This is just slightly different. Um, and you know, the, the differences in geometry between the stacked discs and the, the beater might make some of those hits a little different, whether it's like they catch an edge or catch a top versus more throwing geometry that we use this year. So, but yeah, we, we didn't really change our overall robot strategy too much. Now, Tom's last question here, I'm sure uh, both, you know, Lindsay, Kyle, and myself are, we're very excited to hear the answer to, uh, let me ask you, Greg, have you found yet edible stickers? So we, we, we actually did, and um, I just didn't have time to do this um, for BattleBots um, itself, but we can, we can continue to revisit this and, and, and milk this, this exchange between Luke and I for as many seasons as we want. But what they do is they make um, edible like cupcake toppers that are kind of stickers. So it's like you can print them. Um, or get them printed. It's kind of how you can like have a picture of something on the top of a cupcake. So we were talking about getting some of those made. And then maybe it's not so much a sticker, but it's like it's a cupcake that says switchback on it. Um, I think that that would be an acceptable end to all of this. Um, I keep uh, thinking about finishing my 30 pounder and coming to Norwalk. Um, I was hoping to do that this month, but I don't think that's going to happen. So um, which whenever I come to Norwalk, I will come locked and loaded with a robot and the conclusion to the sticker saga. Greg, th this is my promise to you. Okay. All right. You make, oh, no. Oh, no. You, you make those <laughs> cupcake toppers. Okay. Make them as large as you'd like, Greg. And I will eat so many that I will throw up live on the live stream. Okay. <laughs> I eat about I two or three pounds of those. Okay. I, I really, I'm trying. I'm a big supporter of this. I really want the NHRL to grow as wide as it can. I'm not sure you vomiting is good for that programming, um, but I will. I will take giving you less cupcakes uh, so I can participate in thumb wars. Oh, whoa, wow. Okay, um, let me think about that. I don't know if I'm like emotionally prepared to get crushed, like on on the live stream. By yes. yet another BattleBots captain, and, but, phys um, and physically crushed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, let me. I'll, I, you know what? I'll take you up on that, Greg. All right, you come to Norwalk, and I will, I will, I will thumb wrestle you live on the air. Okay. All right. I'm, I'm, I'm good with that. And then we'll have cupcakes afterwards, right? <laughs> good. Yes. Okay. All right. That's All right. good. That's a deal. I feel like we need a cupcake smash. Like someone needs to smash it in the other space. Well, we could we could add that to the end of whoever loses the thumb war, right? Yeah. Like we'll take we'll take a cup. So like we'll maybe we'll eat a pregame cupcake, right? Then we'll do the war so that the cupcake takes care of the sticker bet. We'll do the thumb war, 
And as adder to the win loss of the, the thumb war, somebody gets their, their face smashed with a cupcake. That's perfect. Oh, great, great suggestion, Lindsay. This is fantastic. I'm all about helping with the content. So whatever, whatever you need. I'm so excited. <laughs> I just I just have to finish the 30 pounder now. Well, well, if this isn't motivation, I, I don't, don't know what is. I don't know what is. Yeah. I was really hoping to come for the 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 new the new bot um one, but there's just there's just no way I'm getting it done. So um I you'll have some cool robots. Uh you'll have at least one from Texas uh coming up. Um but it's uh not gonna be mine. All right, let's jump back into the listener questions. We have one from Charlie who competes on RIT's robotics team. And Charlie writes, is the isogrid pattern on the inner frame done with Julia's feature script? Ah, it, it is done with Julia's feature script. So uh, one of the really cool things about Onshape, not to go back to Onshape uh, spokesperson for a second, but one of the great things about um, Onshape is the ability for people to write plugins to do things easier. So you can install plugins that'll say like, hey, I wanna, I wanna lighten this, this material um, and you can just click it, define some parameters and then it just does it for you. So the ISO grid is uh, the really cool pattern. Um, I think it was developed by NASA back in the day for like the best strength to weight ratio. It also just looks really cool. Um, and uh, so there's a person named Julia, she's in the first community and she develops all sorts of cool feature scripts for Onshape that are free that you can just install and extend the capabilities of Onshape. So yes, we use Julia's um, script for generating that ISO grid. Uh, and we used uh, some of the other uh, pretty common feature scripts for other things on Switchback also. Very, very cool. Also as an RIT alumni myself, um, go RIT. Do they have do they have a mascot? Uh, it's a tiger. Oh, good. So go go tigers. Go tigers. So I have a, a couple of questions here from Triton team member uh, St- uh, Stephen Schaefer who writes: I'm a big fan of your design, but have been disappointed by your results. What would you change if you started from scratch again, not being locked into this design or brand? That is such a good question. Um, by the way, I've known I've known Stephen for a very long time. We we competed with each other. Um, almost 15 years ago in a uh, competition called Red Bull Creation uh, when he was with a group called North Street Labs and uh, like the ultimate maker hacker competition. So very cool that he's also in BattleBots um, as another little, little side thing. Um, I think if, you know, we, I think if we were not locked into this design and we were to, were able to bring whatever we wanted, um, I think you would probably see us with, a really aggressive drum robot. Um, and, you know, somewhere, you know, Lindsay would have to look out, you know, we'd come, come for the, uh, come, come for Copperhead's title, but like we would build a robot that would be in kind of in that like meta of just a crazy, crazy drum, whether it's Riptide-like or Copperhead-like. I think that's the world that I would like to go in. Um, switchback has potential and we just we need at least one more iteration until we can realize it but we will have to learn in the next season um uh you know if it's actually going to be competitive with the highest top top tier teams or it's something where we need to revisit trying to 
do a metabot with a twist for something different for our season for world championship eight or nine, whatever, whatever year it is. But we, we still like the design, but yeah, I look, I want to keep winning. Right. So as long as we're winning and moving forward, I'm going to keep sticking with the design, but you never know. Um, uh, team midnight invention might turn into a multi bot team for a future season where we try to bring something else too. So you never know. There's, there's some fun ahead for us. Uh, so in that same vein, like you you were just mentioning about these future seasons, Stephen's next question was, having spent a lot of time in the pit myself repairing Triton, what would you say is the part or system that you hate repairing the most, and what are you going to do to mitigate that for next season? Oh, I hate our weapon box so much. There's this little black box that lives in our arm, and the original idea with it was that you drop some bolts on the side, we could slide the whole thing out with motors. It's where the motors and the motor controllers for the weapon are. And uh, everything is just way too tight to service. And so whenever you need to service it, you have to take the arm apart. And we were really trying to not do that this year, but we didn't solve that problem. So we hate servicing the weapon box. And so to mitigate that next year, I think we're going to, I think we're going to pull the um, motor controllers out of the arm and move them to the base. We were trying not to go like long phase wires for the brushless and keeping the motor controllers really close to the motors. But I think that in practicality sense, trying to the less stuff that's in that box will make everything much more easy to service. And uh, we'll just we'll see where that gets us to. And uh, I'm hopping in now for Chris. Hey, Greg. But I feel like that's definitely something you learn as the as your experience with the bot goes on, you know, what is just a pain <laughs> that you wouldn't have necessarily anticipated beforehand. So I think, you know, that's always interesting to see, you know, how that influences changes. Yeah. I mean, the, the thing that with, with our team and um, we were pretty, we come pretty deep with spares. I mean, people will talk about our pit and stuff like that, but we, we came with the parts. We came with two fully built robots and we brought the parts for like four switchbacks. And so our philosophy with quick repairs is just to replace. So we just like, we'll have two robots with maybe three arms and arm boxes built up. And if anything goes wrong, we'll just swap the whole subsystem to the other one because it's just too big of a pain in the butt. And so I'm not really sure whether the right philosophy is to make the individual robot incredibly serviceable or to continue going on what we've been doing where we're swapping the complete subsystems out. And even if the subsystems take a long time to build, we're not under, you know, rebuild this thing in an hour type of time frame. So, but yeah, finding the balance between those two of those uh, serviceability is something I think every team struggles with because we're trying to pack a lot of stuff in the smallest package that we can. And, you know, it's probably the last thing you think about when you do design work. Yeah. And, you know, when when we were at BattleBots this year, I mean, I think we we always knew that the season is only two weeks long and, you know, you have to fit in your fights. You have to fit in the, you know, round of 32 and now um, Sin City Slugger. So there's not a lot of turnaround time, but I think being there in person this year really highlighted that, like, you have 36 hours sometimes you have. Sometimes you're fighting. I mean, I don't think anyone was really fighting back to back during the regular season. 
but like you hopefully get a day and that's what you get. And so you're, it, it, it really was astounding, like how little time is in between each fight. And, and so serviceability, like is just such a factor. Yeah, it, it absolutely is. And, and I, I mean, even, even with this fight where we know we had four fights over, I think that it was, was it a week was the first four or like a week and a day or something. Um, that was still pressure to get that done. And so, yeah, serviceability is something that I think everybody wants to improve upon, but you know, you can only do so much. I mean, this is, this is nobody's full-time job. This is all of our hobbies. And so we all have only so much time to do design work, to do fabrication work, to get it done. Um, and we generally like for the scope of these types of robots, we're not given a lot of time from when we're confirmed to when we need to be, you know, in Las Vegas fighting. So it's, I think we're all going to get better year after year at it, but, um, I've got some, you know, bloody knuckles from slamming my fingers on stuff. And I think that it's just maybe, uh, one of the shared experiences of all the bot builders. Yep. <laughs> All right, we have a, um, a semi semi related question from Heather Stringfellow. Have you made any changes to the bot in this season that you'd like to uh -huh, switch back? Actually, I I don't think so. I well, no, I I so, uh, generally speaking, we're very happy with this improvement. Um, I think I mentioned it earlier. Um, we're going to rework on the weapon power uh, weapon power package this year. Um, the switch to the drivetrain motors that we chose and all the other stuff is great, but I think that we, we made this choice to try to use the same motor everywhere. So we have on the robot, we have five of the exact same motor. Uh, I think that we will do custom power packs for the weapon, and then we'll use the same three motors for the drivetrain and the arm for next season. So again, getting to serviceability, you know, trying to use the same motor for everything. That means, oh, we can just bulk buy this one motor but it led to some things. So yes, we will probably switch back to a different uh, weapon package, but I don't know if we're going to go back to what we used last year or we're going to pick up a different uh, motor controller combo for this next season. Very nice. Very nice. So we have uh, some good questions here from writer Lee Angle. What type of tasks does the AMD system on a chip added do to improve switchbacks performance? This is a, this is something that I think is uh, very interesting. I'm excited to learn more. Okay, so this is a great this is a great question. So um, we actually have an AMD um, uh, board on our robot. It's got a Xilinx FPGA on it, and we have an absolute position uh, encoder on the ARM gearbox. And so what we're doing is instead of doing ARM control where we're just you know, like a joystick where it's like a little bit of mapped and you push it forward and then it stops. Um, we are actually doing uh, motion profiling on the actual arm moves itself. So we've got some pre-controlled locations so we can, so James, the operator could flip a switch and the arm could go to an exact location, but it's also knows where it is and in space what it's doing so that we can um, move it as fast as possible without slamming into it. So it'll ramp up and ramp down the speed, basically doing closed position control, as opposed to just doing velocity control where you're just turning it on a little bit to move it and whatever. So things like 
we didn't get to implement all of this, but the idea would be like a button you could flip where you're like self-write. Well, then that self-write would go as fast as humanly possible. And you're trying to take a little bit of those subroutines out. So we have the, the FPGA doing a lot of that processing. Um, we also are feeding um, our entire CAN bus from all the motor controllers into that. So it's pulling telemetry logs off of all the motor controllers. And we also run uh, an inertial measurement unit from one of Rev's other sponsors, ST Micro, on the robot. And so that is all about data post-processing. So what type of current draws are we doing? What are our voltage levels? What type of forces does the robot actually see? And we're going to be using a lot of that data uh, that we collected during the season to influence design decisions for next year. Like, oh, well, we never didn't bend any shafts. We only saw this much amount of force. Do we make uh, make the shaft slightly smaller in diameter, which saves us, you know, a quarter of a pound across the whole robot? That's where the optimization is going to come in. Um, but we want to we want to make those decisions uh, very data driven, and that's what our technology integration is. Uh, we also were working on some uh, advanced telemetry stuff where we were going to do a Wi-Fi link back. Um, I know that Ribot runs something similar to that, but we have the ability to do that because we've got that AMD control system on board. Uh, some of it was just implementation time. So we didn't get there, um, but uh, there's some cool stuff going on on board. And I will share as a preview that um, we did have an AMD film crew with us during uh, a chunk of BattleBot season, and they went in depth on some of that technology. And we're going to be publishing just like, you know, the CAD is open. Um, some of the source code will be open, uh, some diagrams and all that stuff. So you can see it if you're interested in how to do that type of work. That's so cool. And I feel like this season, you know, to my knowledge, is the first that we are starting to see some of this technology being built into BattleBots. I know uh, Bloodsport as well had some telemetry uh for data and it's it's really cool and i feel like this is probably you know the cutting edge and of it and in the future we might start to see more of that and it'll be interesting to see how that kind of influences the direction of the sport yeah i, th I think it, it it is it is pretty interesting i mean like we experimented with computer vision last off season we didn't run it on the robot but it, it is kind of the next generation of technology obviously the jump from like brushed motors to brushless motors, you know, some of the newer chemistries of LiPo batteries probably had a more raw effect on, you know, how, you know, how much power density you can have on your robot. But yeah, it's, you know, like F1 cars are incredibly crazy, the amount of technology they have in them. And at some point, sports and technology, you know, the technology integration to, to BattleBots might be the difference maker where it's no longer you can only have an 80 pound weapon you can only spin it so fast so it might be that kind of technology level that gives you the edge over somebody else who's running a more baseline thing uh, on the flip side it might be that your advanced technology fails and then you get your your face smashed in by somebody who's just running a spinning blade but you know it's a you know it's fun either way <laughs> exactly exactly um all right so writer Angle goes on to ask was going from a Drisk to an egg beater just a performance upgrade, or did you want to do something like that originally and the Drisk was just more budget-friendly? Uh, I think the, the Drisk was really a budget-friendly thing. Um, we talked about egg beaters in season one, but you know, 
we just didn't have a lot of time from getting accepted onto the show to building the robot. And so uh, the DRISC was what we submitted in our application and that's what we ran with. And we learned all of the things that are not great about it. Uh, it was definitely way cheaper to build uh, those uh, DRISCs than, uh, than to get those egg beaters machined. But um, I think we'll probably stick with the egg beater, uh, but we have some other weapon ideas uh, that we want to play with in this off season. So we'll see. Cool. All right. Um, his last question is, out of curiosity, why the decision to run the wedge rather than the forks against Banshee? I would have assumed that uh, that'd be more to grab and less of a ground game choice against the flipper. Was there some reason I'm overlooking on this assumption? Um, this is a this is like a, you know, in retrospect type of conversation. Um, one of the things is that we really like the beak front end on our robot. And we didn't get much practice time on this robot, um, especially with, you know, how does it perform in the floor? How do the seams influence it? We kind of felt that not much difference in terms of our front ends was going to make a difference in this fight. Um, but we did want to win the ground game against, um, against Banshee. And so part of this was we're willing to try something that's maybe a little bit unconventional to learn whether it's going to work or not in a fight where it not working is going to matter a lot more than in this one. And so that was kind of our choice. We think the forks would have been a good option, but I, it, you know, we made this choice because we really wanted to see how ground scrapey we could be with that, with that beak front end. And I, I fear a lot of the horizontals and big, kinetic energy weapons more than I fear flying in the air. Now we haven't fought blip or Hydra yet, but you know, similar, just that was the mindset behind it. But yes, I totally see how it is not the obvious choice for people who see what our weapon configurations and front end configurations can be. No, that's, it's interesting to hear, you know, the, the thought process behind that. Um, all right, so we have another chip-related question from Ryan Hunter, who helps run pit control at NHRL. Uh, can Switchback run Crisis with that chip? What's the frame rate like? Um, I don't actually know. Um, it's so it's not it's not one of AMD's like PC processors, uh, and I am not a gamer to know uh, what type of processing power. It's not from their Ryzen line. Uh, it's it's from their FPGA industrial line, which has got a uh, the chip we have has like a dual uh, ARM core uh, A9 on it. So it's a little bit of a different grade. I'm fairly confident I can run Doom. I don't know that we can run Crisis. So that's <laughs> nice. Um, all right, he has one more question. Um, do you have any insight on the rest of the fights on the fight card for you this season? Uh, and yeah, I'll, I'll follow up myself by saying like, did you, by knowing the order of your four fights and who they would be against, did that kind of change your strategy at all? Um, I can tell you that we fear different opponents so different things. Uh, we take every fight incredibly seriously on the upfront side. We have, a you know, video of every fight organized into a data bank. We do all of our research, um, Switchback is it is incredibly dangerous for Switchback to fight horizontals. Um, horizontals are the worst matchup for us because any sort of side hit on the arm itself 
can do a lot of damage to us. So the hijinks fight had us pretty scared. Um, death roll fight had us pretty scared because of just how much power is in that, that, uh, that weapon. Um, you know, it's ominous was a little bit more unknown. Um, and then obviously like we weren't worried about a KE weapon, but we needed to make sure our self writer worked in the Banshee fight. But, um, it didn't really change anything from a preparedness standpoint. It did just give, um, our research, uh, the, the folks on our team who do a lot of the research and it gave us more time to talk about strategy. And I think that that just made the whole event feel, have a better cadence and less crazy than maybe last year. Cool. Cool. I, uh, I can see that. Um, all right. So we have some BattleBot 7 questions. Uh, Bloodsport team member Curtis Honeycutt was similarly impressed with your pit area writing uh, two part question here. Who designed your pit area this season? It was the best one. And can you talk about how an organized pit area helps the BattleBots team prepare for fights? Sure. So um, two members on our team, uh, Noah and Amanda, uh, got together. We have CAD designs of our pit. Um, we know where every tote is. We know where everything goes. Um, and so kudos to them for laying it out. Awesome. Um, also, I'm sorry, uh, Greg Munson, for bringing so many crates. We'll work on that for next year. Um, but uh, part of having an organized pit is really just knowing where everything is. It just means that you're not scrambling for stuff. Um, when we build here at our shop in Texas, um, we have a similar layout. So like one big table in the middle, the same toolboxes, the same pits, obviously like we do a lot of more of our machining on like our big lathe and big mill as opposed to like the little tiny stuff that we bring to BattleBots. But we feel pretty confident in knowing where stuff is. And if you're not figuring out where this part is or where this bolt is, um, those play a big impact in the time. Uh, we also put foam tiles on the floor so that our feet are not killing us after, you know, days and days on a hard surface. And we put lights overhead. So that we can, because a bright workshop is so much better than, um, you know, the dingy lights in the tent. So a lot of it is just, we want to be comfortable and we want to know where everything is. And um, putting that level of emphasis into that, we think makes us a better, more prepared team. But um, I don't know how that equates to results. So we'll have to uh, see through the rest of the season. Yeah, it it just looked really cool. I'm glad to hear that it was also functional. Um, but just, you know, from sight alone, it, it was awesome. Uh, we have another good question here from Andrew Freitag, who is on your team roster. Putting you on the spot a bit. Do you have a most valuable new team member that you added to your roster who really helped the new iteration come together? Hmm. I wonder why Andrew is asking. I'm going to give credit to the new roster. Um to James Wynn um, as our most valuable new member who added our, onto the roster. Uh, uh, that's no offense to anybody else, but um, James brought combat experience that maybe some of us were lacking. Um, you know, his, uh, his beetle weight, it was, has won an incredible number of fights and it's really well respected. He's the president of the WPI Combat Robotics Club. I think he's, he's been on this show you know him at Norwalk all the time. Um, he was a Rev intern. He came and worked for us as a mechanical engineering intern at Rev and uh, really 
put a lot of work into making Switchback as good as it is. So he he was the operator for Switchback's arm and weapon. He was a super MVP. That's not to downplay any of the other contributions of any other members of the team. Um, one of the things about our team is that we have an incredible number of people who bring a lot of unique talents to the team. But I, if I had to give a uh, an MVP award out, I would give it to James. Way to go, James. Um, all right. So Devin Huey seems perplexed. How did Banshee last longer against you than Lucky? Um, we, <laughs> this is a, this is a funny question. Uh, our lucky fight, we got really lucky. So, <laughs> um, so I, I mean, you know, that fight, if you ran that fight, that lucky fight, you know, 15 times, I would say switchback wins one or two of them. Right. Um, we literally got this perfect hit in on the perfect spot on Lucky, which caused them to go down. Uh, literally also right after that hit, our, we basically were, were done at that point too. So um, I think that luck played a big factor to that. Um, but part of this is also that we upgraded the robot and our robot was more robust. Our drivetrain was more maneuverable. Um, I think that Banshee is being a smaller robot than Lucky. They are maybe more maneuverable than uh, Lucky is. And that's kind of, that's kind of the thing. So um, it's, I, 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 it's, I don't want to, I, I really don't like to compare one robot in one fight to another robot in one fight, especially when Switchback's totally different this year and Lucky is different than Banshee, which is different than Sub-Zero or Bronco or any of the other flippers. And so, uh, but I do, I do want to say that luck played a big factor in our lucky outcome last year. And I think that Banshee felt more of a, was more of a breaking in fight for both of us with two new robots. And so we were fortunate, but um, I think, you know, just like Chris and Kenny said, you know, our arm was broken in that fight. Our weapon was broken in that fight. Had they gotten one flip and put us on our back, that could have easily gone the other direction. So, um, you know, just, you know, that's first fight for both of us, new robots on season seven. So uh, I think they lasted longer because we didn't hit that magical spot on them. Yeah, that's fair. We, we have one more question before we have a couple uh, just random questions from our fans, from your fans. Sure. Um, this one is from fellow Texan Sumi Shik, who first says, I'm soon starting a group at DMS. Hope to see you there soon. Uh, and then his question is, since Huge is not in your lineup and assuming a meeting between the two of you doesn't happen in the championship, would you publicly declare your interest to have elective off-season matches facilitated in some way? Ah, how interesting. Hmm. So uh, first of all, uh, Dallas Makerspace is what he's talking about. It's one of the largest and best makerspaces that exist. They are a sponsor of Sub-Zero. Um, I was involved at the very, very beginning of that, uh, but it's a crazy huge uh, space, not that far from us, with almost a couple thousand members. So very cool to see that Combat Robotics is going to grow at DMS. Um, I'd love to fight huge again. Um, I, I, 
I think if we had this robot against huge, I mean, I, I know nobody's really excited to fight huge, but like I would, I'd, uh, I'd give it another go, uh, Jonathan. So, uh, yeah, if there were, if there was an opportunity to do that, um, sure. Why not? Um, I am hoping that with the new BattleBots live show, um, as that gets rolling and becomes a little bit more regular and more details emerge, I'm hoping that we get the opportunity to drag some of the real robots there, either to be part of the show on occasion or just to have an arena available so that we can test uh, new things. So maybe, maybe it'll happen there. That would be so, so, so awesome. I hope that we, uh, we get to see it. All right. So we have a, a handful of random questions before we close this out. And the first is from Benji who competes on the robotics team at the university of Arkansas. And he wants to know, would Rev ever get into making custom parts for combat robotics or is it too small of a market segment? I'd love to see some even smaller 550s for Beatles. Um, so we probably, you know, Rev makes parts for education and schools that get used everywhere. Um, I'm not saying that we won't ever do that. It is a pretty small market at the moment. Maybe it needs a manufacturer to do that. But um, I think that um, Curtis at FingerTech does a great job um, with the stuff that he produces. I know that there are a bunch of others that are out there doing stuff. It's probably not on our short-term radar for Rev to do that. But I do know that quite a few more teams are starting to use Rev products. I think the 12-pound class, 30-pound class play really into a lot of the products that we make. And then obviously we use like Max Planetary Gearboxes on Switchback. So if they work at Switchback, they probably can work anywhere. But in terms of custom combat parts, uh, if we were to do something, and I'm saying if we were to do something, we would probably be looking at um, building really suitable high current motor controllers because that's more in our wheelhouse than building stuff for three pounders. Yeah, I uh, I can see that. Um, so Sean Peterson has a normal question and a weird question. Let's start normal first. What okay. is your favorite combat? Sorry. What is your favorite Comedy Central era robot? Uh, biohazard. Nice. You I, didn't even have to think I, about that one. No, I, I loved Biohazard as a kid. I I loved that robot. I I I love that robot. And then uh, let's go on to the weird one. Have you ever tried to use Switchback to mow your lawn or trim the hedges? <laughs> I have not used Switchback to mow my lawn or to trim my hedges. Uh, I am incredibly scared to turn Switchback's weapon on when I am not behind glass because it is incredibly dangerous. So I know the question's a joke. I have not tried to do it. I have definitely run it into all sorts of different things during testing from cinder blocks to watermelons to, um, I think we got a bunch of cabbage and apples at one point just for fun video. It will destroy whatever is in front of it like that. But I, I am very safety conscious when it comes to this because we are dealing with something that can kill somebody. And I don't want to be that person. I don't want anybody on my team or my neighbors to be that person either. It's like, even if it happens at home, not involved with a show at all, the moment a battle bot really disfigures or kills someone like on a team's own time is like when the show gets canceled <laughs> on top of like the danger to, you know, human life. Yeah, it is. It is, it is a 
testament to the you know seriousness that the competitors in the show and everybody put into safety procedures that there have not been any major incidences over the years. But it is these are so incredibly dangerous. Um, do you guys remember that there was a CSI episode in the original running of CSI where they had a bunch of battle bots and the battle bot was the thing that killed somebody? No way. <laughs> I didn't you know gotta, that. You got you to go dig deep onto your uh, CSI archives. But yeah, there's a there's a uh, BattleBots um, CSI episode. So we need another one of those, but something that puts us more in like a good light, just to remind all the people not watching Discovery that we're still out there. You yeah. Know? <laughs> all right. So Alex Pick, who runs Zane at NHRL, wants to know which bot would Switchback like to take on its hikes? Take on its hikes. Yeah, I guess if the switchback was going on a hike, who would its uh, hiking buddy be? <laughs> oh, I mean, I, I don't know. Oh, yeah. So go, going up the hill on its switchback, right? So like a bike ride or or something like that, right? Um, I yeah. I I would um, I'd take Will Bales and Hypershock. Um, I we were pitted next to them. We've become pretty decent friends over the last couple of years. You know, want to go hiking with your friends, but. Maybe I don't limit it. Maybe we just say like, hey, uh, whoever wants to go, we'll just all go on a hike together. But uh, yeah, you know, be fun to hang out more outside of uh, a tent in Vegas. That is cute and wholesome. And I love it. And we are now on to our last question of the evening. This is again from Ryan Hunter, who runs pit control at NHRL. And this is a very important question. Is Switchback's arm strong enough to win a thumb war against Luke? I think it would probably handle its own against Luke. Um, now, I'm not sure about Ricky, but Luke for sure. <laughs> oh, burn. Burn. I like it. Well played, Greg. <laughs> did I did I tell you my plan that like um, I want to I, what I would love to do or see at the NHRL is a um, build an actual um uh, weird time of the night competitive arena, right? So, so like you know, you have all the bot arenas. Like, I think it would be really cool. They make like arm wrestling tables. I think it would be amazing to just build a little thing. You put cameras on it. Maybe we make like you make like a super little baby Brett to be the officiant, and then like you can have thumb wrestling, arm wrestling, even even games of war, cards war. Um, pie eating contests, but just like a little tiny pedestal where it's a uh, little weird time of the night arena. Perfect. It's perfect. We got to get henchman Sam on it. And I think, uh, perfect. Perfect. I, I will say that if you do a weird part of the night uh, arena, I'll figure out, um, send Austin my way. We'll figure out for Rev to sponsor the weird part of the night arena. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I'm not sure that we're down to sponsor like everything, but like just give me the little, uh, give me the thumb wrestling arena, um, and uh, we'll go from there. This is great. I love this. This is great. I mean, Greg, we we get a cut on all of the sponsors that we bring to NHRL, so I mean, we could make five or ten bucks here. This is great. Yeah, maybe maybe what I'll do is wow. maybe I'll design this arena, and maybe I'll just, <laughs> one of these days I'll just. We'll just make it here at Rev and just ship it, <laughs> ship it to them. And you guys can just like, it'll just show up one day. I'm not going to tell you when it's shipped 
or whatever. We'll just maybe we'll just make it and it'll just appear. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. That's perfect. I, I want like scale models. So like, you know, everything is shrunk down, including like the rail. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm very not, it has small, to look like, like, like the arena. Maybe it's got removable walls. So you can put your thumbs in it, but it's yes. still like polycarbed <laughs> on three sides. A uh, little exhaust yes. fan at the top, you know, blowing <laughs> yes, on the competitors yes. so that like it's, you know, double use. Yeah. But but totally like oh, that's you put your thumb in and it's just, you know, so. Greg, it's a shame that you don't live closer to Connecticut. I mean, like these are brilliant ideas. I know. I know. I, I uh, like I said, I was in New England this uh, actually yesterday. I was in there for the the, the better last part of this week and the weekend. And um and I no, I, I was like, man, I really need to get up here for an NHRL thing. I just, it's just tough because timing is tight. So I will get there. I promise I will get there someday. I will bring a really like I'm not sure competitive 30 pounder, but I will bring one. Um, and uh, we'll we'll at least thumb war and cupcake our way uh, to <laughs> two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> That's amazing. I look forward to that. That that would be great. Greg, thank you so much for talking with us. I didn't ask a single question, but I enjoyed this a ton. Can't wait to see Switchback in the Battle Box again soon. Best of luck with everything. Yeah, thank you. And I I, I appreciate the conversation. It's, it is always fun to do this. And, uh, you know, I, you know, yeah, so happy to do it. After the break, we'll return with this week's installment of Robots Around the Solar System. Welcome back from the break. Time for robots around the solar system? That's enough. (laughs) This week, we're traveling to our nearest neighbor in the galaxy, where researchers are studying whether a robotic seal can help astronauts better handle stress on Mars. Researchers recently subjected test subjects to a two-week simulation of life on Mars where participants are asked to conduct first aid drills, cultivate their own food, and gather rock and soil samples under harsh conditions. Included in the experiment was PARO, a robotic seal that people use in Japan to provide companionship for old people. The researchers studied whether giving Mars colonists access to PARO would reduce their stress levels by petting the seal and talking to it like a real pet. If only Mark Watney had a paro when he was uh, abandoned on Mars. I mean, who knows what would have happened? So wait, hold on a second. They have a robotic seal uh, used currently in Japan to provide companionship to old people. Yeah, I believe we actually reported on this in a prior episode of Behind the Box. A a robotic version of the guy who sang Kiss from a Rose. Mm. (laughs) Yes. (sighs) And they're going to send him to Mars? I think of a lot of grandparents who would like that a lot. <laughs> Luke, we are those grandparents. We're, we're exactly that age range. Like There used to be a red planet way out there in space. And you were sad because you had to gather rock samples and soil samples <laughs> conditions baby <laughs> oh god oh god 
Uh, okay. Well, we all learned two things today. One, uh, Luke thinks that we're all ancient. And two, Chris can sing. Nice work. Nice work, buddy. That was good. That was good. good <laughs> Well, that's about it for us today. Uh, we want to thank Nicole for editing this week's episode and probably uh, having to run my voice through about 45 filters so people didn't have their eardrums blown out. Thank you so much, Nicole. You do such a great job. Uh, and we'll be back in your feed next week with another mystery guest. We'll see you then, folks. Bye. 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 Bye.